Hello, everybody. I wanted to make an announcement here before we get started on the episode. So we're quickly getting to the month of December. And of course, December for a lot of people across the country is the Christmas holidays. So uh, we at Freaking Geeks, uh, we decided not long ago that we wanted to do a Freaking Geeks chest towards the end of the year. So I wanted to give you a rundown as to what that actually means. So similar to the loot crate that we give away each month, the Freaking Geeks chest is going to be uh, very much the same. We're going to be filling our own box full of a lot of geeky goodness. Uh, there's Stranger Things, um, you know, we have Star Wars and Rick and Morty and so much more. It's going to be packed into this box and it's going to be given away on Patreon. Okay, so in order to get the opportunity to win this box, which is going to be a raffle style drawing, you're going to have to be a Patreon subscriber to do so. So if you would like to get all of our content sooner than you get it on iTunes, if you want the chance to win Loot Crate giveaways each month, and if you want the opportunity to get this Freaking Geeks chest that we're going to be doing, you need to subscribe to Patreon. Uh, and, you know, on top of all the stuff that we're trying to do on our website and try to give away and all the perks that we create, doing Patreon gives us the opportunity to do what we love and be able to make a living doing it, right? So if you would like to support us, and we, we hope that you will, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash freaking geeks and check out what we have to offer there. We love to do this week in and week out, but it does incur costs. It It is uh, something that takes away our time. Uh, it takes time. It doesn't take away our time because we love doing it, but it does take time. And we just want to kind of toss this announcement out there to let you know what we have coming in the month of December and just to kind of reiterate what it is that we give away and what we do each week and each month of uh, doing Patreon and doing our podcast. So check out what we have to offer. See if it's something you'd be willing to uh, subscribe to. We hope that you will. And uh, okay, on to the show. Hello, Stranger Things fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Freaking Geeks podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is my co-host, well, Michael. So Michael. <laughs> it's Mike and Mike, right? Mike and Mike in the morning. Yeah. At night. <laughs> I guess at night. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we are here for uh, Season 2, Episode 2 of Stranger Things, uh, titled Trick or Treat Freak. It's written uh, and directed by Matt. Well, it's actually written by Matt and Ross Duffer and directed by Matt Duffer. So uh, we're kind of 
making was this our not a sh- I thought this was Sean Levy. Uh, I thought it was. Well, I could be wrong. Do you want to do you want to check on that for me while I? I, I will. <laughs> I'll do a real quick Imdba check. Okay. Um, all right. So yeah, we are obviously doing episode two here, and uh, as you can tell, Sarah is not with us because she had to go on vacation. You know. Go down to to Disney World and have a good time and all that fun stuff. And whereas uh, Mike and I are stuck in icy landscape. I stand corrected. I am a jackass. He had he had nothing to do with this. <laughs> I I goofed. I win. <laughs> I I all my egos go to you. Uh, that's fine. I sit here uh, egoless. Like like I've never made a mistake on this podcast. <laughs> Please. Um, all right. So yeah. Um, Mike, what were your thoughts about this episode in general when you, you know, got to the very end? Wow. Um, my thoughts at the end were, what are we, what are we, do, what, what are we doing here? Cause, um, something that's great about the show and especially this season is you expect it to fall into all these tropes and to kind of fall into it's, it's this comfortable kind of routine. And it turned over everything that I was going to say, oh, you know, this character is now going to be like this. And they tease you a little bit and then go in the opposite directions. They, 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 they're serpentine. And the end of this, I just, um, with the, the trash can scene, um, is so, I just, just was so happy and wanted to see what is this new, this wonderful new adventure that I can go on with these characters. Yeah, I can't disagree. I think this was an excellent episode overall. I, I loved everything they really did here. They, they hit a lot of the beats that I, I thought they might hit from just the trailers that we'd seen before the season started and, and just general information that you kind of pick up as the months go by. Uh, I kind of thought we were going to get, it, you know, not everything in this episode. I didn't see everything coming, obviously, but the broad strokes, I felt like, yeah, okay, I definitely, definitely like what I'm seeing. And, uh, some, some things I didn't pick up on at all, just because as we talked about last episode, I did not see the 11 stuff coming whatsoever. Like we got at the mm-hmm. end of the first episode where we see, hey, you know, 11 is now living with Hopper, right? I had no idea that that would be what we would see and then of course we pick up on that thread and actually go back even further and see what happened uh, prior uh, to all of this so we get to see what happened once 11 you know uh, you know got uh, the demogorgon and she wakes up and, and hey you know we yeah find- I, I mean it's isn't that what we all came back to see mm-hmm yeah. Uh, that's the that's the cliffhanger everyone cared about. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, we're we're going to get comments that are like, uh, no, I wanted to see what was going going to happen to Dustin further on. Ah, come on. <laughs> come on. You were there to see what happened to Eleven. Don't be that guy. No, but overall, I think this was a really good episode. And, you know, it, it hit a lot of the beats I thought it might hit. Uh, and I just think that they, story-wise, they did a great job of advancing uh, what we saw from last week. And they, they took the kids' storyline and it went in an organic direction. And I think, you know, Sarah and I, we often talk in a lot of 
the podcast that we do, especially with, say, Friday Night Mics, which is our, our Friday Night Lights podcast, we talk about how wonderful that show is. And in part, it's because of the organic uh, nature of the storytelling, where something happens and it doesn't feel like they're trying to force you, you know, into a certain or force a storyline to happen because they want to, like, say, build up drama uh, with a capital D. Uh, things just feel like they would happen this way, right? And I feel like that's what happens in this episode. There's just this natural progression of the story thus far. Two episodes in, we got to the end of this episode, and I thought, this is exactly, you know, where I think the show needs to be. I feel like everything has progressed forward nicely, and I'm ready for episode three. So, yeah. I'm interested, but I'm not like, wow, we're at the finale already. No. Nope, definitely not. Yeah. It's great. Definitely, definitely room for uh, for what six more good episodes. Six more five, good five, episodes. Five more. Six. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, we are going to be going right into the breakdown now, and to start it out, we're going to be uh, showing you a not showing you. I guess you're going to listen to a clip here. This is the compromise scene between Hopper and Eleven. Here it is. Jesus. Ghost. Yeah, I see that. Halloween. Sure is. But right now it's breakfast, okay? Come on, let's eat. They wouldn't see me. Who wouldn't see you? The bad men. What are you talking about? Trick or treat. You want to go trick or treating? You know the rules. Yes. Yes, yeah, so you know the answer. No, but no. I don't. They wouldn't hey, see me. I don't care. But they wouldn't I don't see me. care, all right? You go out there, ghost or not, it's a risk. We don't take risks, all right? They're stupid. And? We're not stupid. Exactly. Now you take that off, sit down, and eat. Your food's getting cold. Look, how about I get off early tonight and I buy us a bunch of candy and we can sit around and get fat and we watch a scary movie together. How's that for compromise? Com compromise? C-O-M, promise, compromise. How about that's your word for the day, yeah? It's something that's kind of in between. It's like halfway happy. By 515? Five, 515. Five, yeah. Sure. Promise. Yes. I promise. Halfway happy. All right, Mike. So what did you think of this scene? Because this is straight after the credits. I, I, every scene between the two of them, I want to cry. <laughs> um, it's 
it's weird, and I and uh, I'm going to say this with other characters later in this episode, but the writers clearly sat down and said, "What characters have?" a similar damage that maybe even characters we haven't seen interact as much and that we can bond them over that. And it's all, I mean, I wouldn't have even thought of this, but it's obvious in retrospect, Hopper having lost his daughter. I almost said spoilers, realized that was the last season. I'm good. Um, and 11 losing her father figure and them just kind of uh, coming together and bonding over this and getting to see 11 as an actual like 12 year old girl. And her reactions to him, they're so organic and, and it's its like a, a daughter and a father. And it's its its just good. It's good television. I wish I was more articulate. It is so just good. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love the scenes they have together. They are brilliantly written. Um, obviously, we know the caliber of acting on display on screen. And uh, if you get tired of us, you know, talking about how great Millie is as an actress. Uh, well, sorry. <laughs> you know, you're just going to have to continue to listen to it because she's great. Um, does she got, does she got haters out there? Like anywhere? I, I, you know, I'm sure she does somewhere, I, you know, I there are people that just like, I get tired of hearing how good she is. Ah, and you know, they just hate it because quit you know, praising her talent. Yeah. The, she's only 13 years old. She's not that good, you know, stuff like that. You know, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not saying, <laughs> Hey, hand her an Oscar tomorrow. Like, I'm not saying that obviously, you know, she's very young and, and she just is really breaking into the industry. I know she's taken it by storm, but she, her career has just started. So I get it. She's her, her talent level is obviously there, but she still has a lot to prove. Okay. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think actors and actresses continue to try to prove something with each performance that they put forth, you know, every single film or TV project or, or you know, whether it be, uh, you know, blockbuster, some, uh, some uh, indie drama or whatever, or maybe even on stage, you do some stage acting, you know, Broadway, you know, or West End stuff. But every performance yeah. they put out there, they try to prove something to both themselves and the audience. Okay. And she has a lot to prove. It's, it's true. She's very young. She's at the beginning of her career. However, you can I'm see the it. talents there. It doesn't make her performance in Stranger Things um, any less captivating just because she's a young actress and she's just really getting started and there i mean and we said this last time there are no bad actors on this show no 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 i i mean e even your minor characters even um uh shithead friend with all the like freckles on his face oh he's yeah he's good yeah. he does his thing um but it's also really cool uh to see her progression from the we didn't really talk much about the before credits scene. We'll get there in a second. You want you want to go there afterwards? Okay, yeah. but um, here you see her compared to last season, and she's more articulate. She's talking a little bit more. Her her uh, she's not as monotone, mm -hmm. and it's just natural progressions of these characters, and it doesn't leave behind what we liked about the character. It's just very okay. This is where they are now. This makes sense. Yeah. You know, she has something about her voice. Like if you hear her talk, uh, like they're in this clip here when Hopper says compromise and she 
doesn't, you know, she says compromise. She doesn't understand what it means. And then she says like five, one, five. And she has like this huskiness in her voice is 11 in certain moments where it's a conscious choice, you know, she's, she's talking this way for a specific reason. And I don't know whether that's just based on direction or, or what, or if that's just her choice as an actress. Uh, but there's so many little things and you never feel like there's hesitation in her acting choices, which is uh, among the many reasons why she's so good is I think she's, well, she's fearless. And, and that could also be just youth and she just barrels forward and she does her job and she's just great at it. And who knows in a few years, you know, the acting choices, maybe there'll be doubt and that'll be a different hurdle for her to jump over. But this, at this stage of her career, her, her just acting is, is sublime. The talent is just off the charts. So I just, you know, I, I don't want to keep going because I know we got to break more things down here. So we'll just. Oh, there's, you know, there's more we'll, in this episode than her? Oh, yeah. yeah. A couple things. You know, I guess we'll, um, we'll quit the love we fest. Should, we should probably also talk about Hopper a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do want to talk about this scene. So what I love yeah. about this is I love the relationship, right? I love how it's clear that Hopper is afraid of what could happen if she were found out. Now, obviously, if she's wearing this ghost outfit, right, this sheet, nobody's going nobody's gonna to find her. Nobody's going to know it's her, you know? And he probably knows that. Like, the chance of somebody figuring out that it's her underneath that is so minimal that it almost doesn't even exist, right? I didn't realize it was E.T., and I just realized that was probably an intentional reference yes yes i'm wow yeah i should have caught that yeah <laughs> yeah so uh but i liked it and i and i liked i like the choice and but i like her desire in this moment to want to be outside this cabin you have to remember she was stuck in hawkins laboratory all of her life she got a week of freedom right and then yeah, she's been, you know, and then she kind of fended for herself out in the wilderness, and now she's been in this cabin now for for what uh, ten months, nine months, ten months, something like that. So it, it's been a while for her. You know, she hasn't left this cabin in almost a year. I mean, talk about really, you know, cabin fever, literally, it's a like cabin fever, you she has to get out of here, she needs to see the outside world, she needs to, she wants to be with Mike, she wants to see Mike, she wants to talk to him. And it's it's killing her. Uh, but even aside from Mike, it's just her desire to see anybody else right now. And trick or treating would definitely help her kind of deal with continuing to stay there. But Hopper doesn't want to you know, risk it. He, he wants to keep her safe. And the fact that she is maybe unhappy there is secondary, you know? Um, so he, big th- he brings up the idea of being halfway happy. A big theme in this episode is trauma. Yeah. And in and, and, and this season is trauma, but especially in this episode. And you see that with Eleven because you see what she had to go through betwixt the two seasons. And also the, you know, trauma of being separated. 
But the most subtle that you see is Hopper clearly, like, the last season really messed him up. It's never stated in the script. It's it's 100% on his performance as an actor. Yeah. Um, and it's and you know what i didn't even really pick up on it that well first time around until you know upon upon rewatching it but that's where where he's coming from here i mean he's seen this uh disgusting underbelly this this lab all the the secrets and what they do to people and how they're how they're treating these kids and he also doesn't want to lose another daughter figure so it's him kind of grappling with that and dealing with his own stuff which is contrasting with hers right you have opposing desires right now yes uh he lost his daughter you know however many years ago now seven like seven years ago and now he has a second chance uh is does well okay there's 11 Will Eleven replace his daughter? No. Obviously, nobody can replace his daughter. But there's no doubt that he looks at Eleven and sees another daughter. And the the thought of him losing her terrifies him to no end. And there's oh, this yeah. there's a scene we'll talk about later where he and Joyce are um, at the table and they're smoking and he hands her um his cigarette and man it is some powerful stuff because let me tell you what (laughs) she's like wow hopper like and it's like if you go back to last season he was self-medicating a lot he was taking a lot of pills uh, a lot of stuff obviously this is a guy who was clearly on his way out of this world you know uh, i'm I'm trying to ask is is he drinking at all this season? I don't think so, but I but I think there are, there are a few instances where he's not quite self medicating, but he's still like it, this time of year with everything that happened last year. He's he's taking the edge off, which I think is like that scene with with Joyce that I was talking about, where clearly what he's smoking is definitely a little more powerful uh, than I, I don't. I you didn't know. know if it was weed or if it was just he does hand rolled it's strong tobacco. I don't know, you know, and, and it's possible. It could be either way. They don't state explicitly what he's smoking. But we both clearly smoke a lot. You yeah. Can tell. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> right, but you you know, I I feel like in my mind he's either he's either smoking weed or he's uh smoking he's smoking something uh he's got some other stuff there but uh i feel like it's kind of like a hint towards the self-medicating nature that he showed last season it's like he probably has been fine for most of this year but now we're back at that that point uh where he was dealing with all this stuff last year and he talks about like ptsd and how we're back in he even commits in that scene with joyce where he talks about how you know, like I'm on, even I'm on edge this time of year. Like we just got to get through this yeah. month. And you realize he's as messed up as, as you know, Joyce, Will, mm-hmm. yep. Mike, Eleven, and yep. and that's what that's I was the talking theme. about last episode in the in the first. I was talking about extensively. I, I mentioned PTSD being a real yeah. issue, and it, it's going to remain a real issue throughout this season, especially these early episodes where they really touch on that element of 
you know, because look, they, they all went through some really crazy stuff and some characters uh, showcase that PTSD more than others. Uh, like Dustin and Lucas, I mean, they're so wrapped up in their own whatever. They, they don't, it's not touching them like it's touching others, but definitely Mike and uh, Will and... And, uh, and that really drives their story, which we'll probably talk about more later, but... Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, they make a compromise in this scene. Uh, I know we keep going off on tangents here, but they make a compromise in this scene. Hopper's going to like get a bunch of junk food. They're going to come back. Uh, he, and he promises, by the way, he promises he'll be back. They're going to eat a bunch of junk food and watch movies and get fat. And that's what leads, you know, her to say, you know, halfway happy. So she's accepting she can't go trick or treating, but in return, he promises he's going to be there to be with her. Uh, so she's not by herself on Halloween, and they get to like sit around and watch movies and eat a bunch of candy. So it's like, you know, the best compromise she can hope for. Um, and we'll see how that goes as we get through this episode. Uh, all right, so you know what? We're going to take a step back before the credits here, and we're going to talk about what we saw. So as anybody uh, can attest to, when you got to the end of season one and Eleven destroyed the Demogorgon and disappeared, everybody wondered, was she dead? And we saw that Hopper was leaving Egos and food in the woods. So, of course, you know, we assumed at that point that Eleven was not dead. Um, so then we get to actually see what happened. So after she kills the Demogorgon... She wakes up, she's in the classroom right where she took him, took him out or took it out. And she wakes up, uh, coughs up what appears to be some water. Um, she tries to make her way through the school. She's calling for Mike. Obviously, Mike is not there. She eventually finds a, a portal. It's actually where the Demogorgon came through at the end of last season. So that's a brilliant move on their part to say, hey, look, this thing came through the wall this portal still exists right so 11 just kind of makes it bigger and she kind of tears her way you know through almost like this membrane it's almost like she's being reborn right is that what you thought when you saw her tear through like well this almost like a sack <laughs> i was considering using using the exact term i was going to say which was uh interdimensional space vagina <laughs> okay um, which is what I turned to my wife and said as soon as it was it, as it was done. But it is good for the you know it is rebirth. She's coming back into this world, which all the doors kind of look like that. It's, I'm sure it's intentional. Mm -hmm. um, and you know she's covered in interdimensional space amniotic fluid. Right. <laughs> and right. So and I I mean I couldn't I was trying to nail the time frame that this happened. I'm just assuming within hours. Yeah, I think um, – yeah, I would guess within – you know, if you look at it this way, till the police came, until everybody left, um, you know, to where she could actually come out and make her way out of the school and not be caught by just a bunch of people outside, I would say it's probably, yeah, within like three or four hours. About three or four hours later is my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense, and yeah, and I don't know how far you know everyone's houses are. I I, I need a map of Hawkins. Where's that Netflix? Where's my map of Hawkins? <laughs> so Netflix. we can actually break this whole thing down and say, hey, look, yeah, there's no way next... this 
box set. Uh, so she she makes her way out of the school, um, walks, and again, like you said, we have no idea how long it took her to get from you know, the school back to Mike's house, but she does eventually get there. We see there's a bunch of uh, police cars around and probably, you know, FBI and all that stuff. They're all around his house. But everybody's inside. They're all talking to the to the family. Uh, we we go through the house. This kind of you know decent, I guess, tracking shot. We kind of go through, kind of weave our way, and we. Oh my god, Ted is the worst. By the way, oh he my is god, the, he's the worst. worst. He, I, I, I will say this until they prove me otherwise. He is a serial killer. All right. He oh, he, he has Ted. he has runaways under his floorboards. That's what I'm saying. Um, he's like, yeah, uh, patriots in this house, and like actually salutes the the officer, the you know whoever it's it is. Right after you see the uh, uh, there's a Reagan Bush uh, um, eighty four sign right in the yard. So it's I mean you know it, it fits. Yeah. It definitely fits, uh, but he is the worst. So then we see uh, we go around into the next room, and Mike's in there, and all the the people in there they're trying to tell Mike that you can't trust this, you can't trust Eleven. Anything she told you was a lie. Um, if if you he he's explicit in his um, you know assertion that he will never tell them where she is. Right, he is not going to give her up. No way. And then. He looks out the window through the curtains and he thinks, you know, that he sees Eleven. Now, of course, she is. She's standing right there. And, Mike, I guess my question for you is, do you think he really believes that he's seeing her? Or do you think it's one of those things where he – like, because they look up and go – they they realize that he thinks he sees something and everybody fans out. They go outside and, of course, they don't find her. So I guess the question I have is after they don't find Eleven – do you wonder? Does do you think he wonders whether he saw her, whether or not it you know is actually real, or do you think he really believes that that was eleven that they just didn't find her? You know, I was wondering the same thing, and uh, first time I watched through it, I think I th- didn't think he saw her, and this has nothing to do with ha- what happens later. It's just watching the scene uh, more closely. Second time through, they hold on her for a long time. You see the camera straight from where his POV is, and mm-hmm. she's in the shot. I think he does see her. It's, okay. I, I always, I actually had the same question about uh, in the last episode and, and in this episode, if he hears her, because she does sort of kind of respond through the walkie, like if he senses her or not. And I, I'm going to say yes. In, in my headcanon, yeah, he kind he sees her. Okay. All right. Or at yeah. least believes he does. Yeah, well, when we get to that, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that more. Um, okay. So they fan out. They try to find her. Of course, they don't. She's hiding under what appears to be a, like a giant uh, log that had fallen down. Like there's, like there's a space underneath where she kind of has pushed away underneath and she's kind of hiding there. They don't find her, of course. And that leads to the title sequence, which of course then leads into the scene that we talked when we opened up our breakdown here. Uh, so that, of course, it takes us into the kids, right? We get to finally talk about the rest of the kids. Um, so the first scene that we see is one where Joyce 
is kind of running through the the house, right? It's a fantastic scene that replicates the scene last season where they couldn't find Will, right? So she's like, where's Will? She literally walks into the kitchen and in, in that the episode – Jonathan's making breakfast. Yes, he's making breakfast. And so then she runs to the bathroom, opens it up, and of course Will is in there. He's just going to the bathroom. So I thought that was a nice little callback to, to last season. Um, and it also showcases her paranoia as well. Because trauma. I mean, why wouldn't you be paranoid? You know, your kid just didn't just get dragged into the upside down last season for a week, right? So it's completely understandable. All right, so then we see this awesome 80s montage of the kids. Uh, they're dressed up in Ghostbusters costumes. Um, yeah. Oh, it's it's actually yeah yeah they're taking all their photos and you know you you we actually see Lucas's parents which I don't think we've ever seen Lucas's family before we saw Dustin's last episode. Oh yeah yeah um, yeah definitely yep. We we see his uh his bratty sister. Oh yeah. She calls yeah. him a nerd. She's the worst. Oh, <laughs> you know, I actually thought she was kind of funny. Oh, she was very funny, but just, just, oh, what a brat. Yeah, she, she basically just, she just takes the, she just takes his, his geekiness and makes him realize he's even more geeky than he thought he was, you know, at least in her eyes, you know, she kind of just comes down on him a little too hard, I think. But she's that sassy little sister that kind of just, obviously, like you said, gets on your nerves. And I think Lucas probably hates her most of the time because she probably picks on him. See, as the older brother, you would think he would be picking on her all the time. But I think that did, that dynamic is switched around. I think it's, you know, her picking on Lucas most of the time, which is just kind of weird. But it fits in this uh, occasion. But uh, we do get that awesome montage. Uh, You know, Mike is – he's having none of it. Uh, Oh, he's he's pissed. Yeah. Yeah. He's not excited. Everybody else is like in their picture taken. Dustin and Lucas are so excited. They're just doing all the poses and stuff. You know, even Will is into it. He's having fun. Mike is just like – he's taking pictures. But, you know, his mom's like (sighs) – He's he you know obviously the relationship between him and his parents is strained this year, he and feels we got betrayed. you know we got some um, mm-hmm. uh, indication from last episode that things were getting kind of bad in the household. So, I, I just I, I understand that he's dealing with a lot, but dude, you're dressed up like a Ghostbuster. Seriously, yeah. smile, <laughs> smile. Um, so. We get Mike and Lucas fighting over who should be Winston. You know, they pull into the school. They get off their bikes. They're so excited. They all high five. And that's when Dustin, or not Dustin, sorry, that's when Mike and Lucas both realize that they have uh, decided to be um, Vankman. And Mike says, hey, look, uh, we dealt with this months ago. We, we had this way planned. And it turns out they didn't. So they both wanted to be Vankman and, um, you know, Mike and he and Mike fight over you know, who should be Winston. 
and they never really get it resolved because Dustin realizes that they are the only ones dressed up this year. Everybody else is getting off the school bus and it's, they're all just in regular clothes. It's actually great because they have that dramatic shot of Dustin looking up and in the trailer – it looked like really ominous and you're wondering, oh man, what's attacking these kids during the day? And it's just middle school. Yeah, I know, but isn't that scary? <laughs> it, it, oh, oh, it's it's horrifying and their reactions are perfect. But it, I remember that shot probably – that was probably the shot from the trailer that stuck the most with me. Okay. And oh. it's just that. It's, 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 it looks like there's like the ominous – like the, the giant – the big bad looking down on them or whatever – and it's just realizing you're the only kids that dressed up for Halloween. <laughs> no, but sometimes that's, that's actually worse than being attacked by a giant monster, you know? Oh, I mean, yeah. Because <laughs> if, if they're going to survive the giant monster, they, you know, are you going to survive middle school? Probably, but you may come out with quite a few scars in the process. That's, maybe that's why we don't see the bullies this year is like, because like these kids, why would these kids even bother putting up with that? Oh, dude, they've dealt, I mean, they dealt with a Demogorgon. Yeah, know? I got a Demogorgon. So little uh, d- uh, shithead kid, I don't I don't remember his name. I can't think like, of his name know, either, but yeah. Uh, what, are you, what are we even going to do with him? Oh, Troy. Troy, yeah. There's always a Troy. <laughs> Freaking Troy. Damn, little moron. Yeah. Uh, Big jerk. <laughs> There's two, like... Last season, like, well, Troy was the worst. The other guy was just kind of following Troy. You know, he was the lackey, really. He's a Grover Dill. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, we actually have um, Dustin and Lucas are in school, and they freeze up trying to talk to Max. Right? They're like, Totally gung ho about going after her and trying to talk to her, but just as they're dorks. about to literally engage, and I like that they actually said engage because that's what they say in Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, they both freeze and they're like, "Yeah, we'll do it later. It's fine." And they shuffle off back to to class because it's scary talking to girls when you're you know in eighth grade. <laughs> and a nerd. Nerds. Um. So eventually they do talk to her. And it's a hilarious scene because Dustin is trying to impress her, right? And he, he's not making the best impression, for one. But then he says, you know, hey, why don't you come trick-or-treating with us? We'll protect you from the bullies. And, you know, we know where to get all of the best candy bars. And she says that uh, that's presumptuous of him. And he's like, mm-hmm. you can you can clear. He has no idea what it means, and he just stops for a second and he says, "Yeah, yeah." And she just like rolls her eyes and just slams her locker and walks away. And it's just great because Lucas just rolls his eyes and walks away, and he runs after him saying, "You, Lucas, is that bad? Damn it, Lucas, is that bad? Son of a bitch!" You know, it's great. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. That they're dynamic. I like playing those two off of off against one another. It's it's a great dynamic. It really is. Yeah, they um they have good comedic timing. They remind me of kind of like an older like like Laurel and Hardy sort of deal. They which is weird cuz they're very similar. They're not foils, but I guess it's that Lucas is more aware than Dustin is. Yeah, I guess. I mean, 
it's weird though because if you go back to season one it was actually it was actually dustin who was the more kind of sensitive and self-aware he was the one that would kind of pick up on all these things within the group a lot of the uh the rhythms that were going on yeah he, he was understood more empathetic. why the fighting was going on and and i don't know maybe it's just the years passed uh but yeah i felt like dustin was the one that was doing a lot of the a lot of just the picking up of different vibrations within the group and and understanding the nuances and but when it comes to girls, uh, Lucas knows what's up. A little different. You know, he does have a, a mother and a father to ask questions, whereas Dustin only has his mom. So, Unless he has his dad and his dad just works the the just weirdest hours. It's possible. It is. I have no idea for sure whether or not that his mom is divorced or you know, maybe she's been single. But back she's then, cat, that was kind of a, a cat big person. deal. She is a cat person. She is a cat, but she is a cat person. You're right. Always got a cat. All right. So then um, we get to Billy and Max, right? So uh, Max meets Billy outside of the school. Uh, Billy's doing that awesome, you know, leaning against his car kind of, you know, 80s bully kind of thing, uh, being a real asshole. So they get in the car. They're heading down the road. And... We get this clip. God, this place is such a shit hole. It's not that bad. No? Mm, you smell that, Max? That's actually shit. Cow shit. I don't see any cows. Clearly, you haven't met the high school girls. So what, you like it here now? No. Then why are you defending it? I'm not. Sure sounds like it. It's just we're stuck here. Mm. So You're right. We're stuck here. Then whose fault is that? Mars. What'd you say? Nothing. You say it's my fault? No. You know whose fault it is. Say it. Max. Say it. Really, everyone dressed up last year. Hey, Billy, slow down. Are these your new hate friends? No, no, I don't know them. Well, I guess you won't care if I hit him then, huh? I get bonus points, I get them all in one go? No, Billy, stop, it's not funny. Hey, guys. All right, Mike, um, what did you think of this clip of Billy and Max in the car? There's a lot to uh, unpack. Boy, did I interpret this so differently the first time I saw it. Because okay. um, I was sitting there greatly overthinking their entire dialogue and wondering what sort of 
horrible like Russian experiment they came from or why are they running why are they on the run and you know what is he to her because it's maybe it's not a brother and like like I was expecting this whole weird subplot with them and in retrospect now I guess not really spoilery because at the end of the episode she's like well yeah I just live on this on this street and stuff like that but in retrospect it's like this is just a very intense toxic family uh sort of relationship as opposed to me thinking it all has to be sci-fi nonsense yeah i know and early on you might be thinking hey uh they were running away from something and now they've been brought back to hawkins maybe maybe they just haven't been back for for many many years where's the tattoo on her arm right right where is her tattoo but there is none um it's nothing like that like you said it's just a very i want to say standard toxic family but it's it's a staple of 80s I mean, cinema you know especially right, right. stuff and like he this. is a sociopath yeah because if you take a lot of uh, steven spielberg movies especially from the 80s it was broken homes you know uh father left or they divorced or something uh, or uh, dr- uh drinkers or, a lot of drink a lot of daddies or drinkers yeah a lot of daddy issues going on uh throughout the 80s can we just refer to Billy as Daddy Issues for the rest of the podcast? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mullet McDaddy boy. Issues. Yeah, it, it's pretty bad. Um, so in this scene, I wanted to ask you, you know, he blames her. He blames her for being in Hawkins, you can tell. Like he keeps trying to get her to say that she's the one at fault. To the point where he literally screams at her. And I love her not giving in, right? I mean, the only point the only point at which she's maybe willing to just agree is when he's trying to to ram uh, these kids off the road or well, just kill them, really. But whether it's a scare tactic or whether he actually is going to hit the kids, it's the only point in this scene where she's willing to just agree with him just for the sake of saving Dustin Lucas and Mike. But the question I have for you is, do you really think that it's Max's fault? Or do you actually think it's Billy's fault that they're there? But Billy, of course, isn't going to let himself be the one to blame. He's going to put that on Max. That's how I kind of look at it. And by the way, this is like no knowledge uh looking forward to it other episodes down yeah i was trying to think for a second do they ever really tell us well i don't want to really say one way or another i i I don't because i I was thinking the same thing and i was going wait a minute is it is it her fault or not like i i actually like and i'm sure that they do talk about it later but i don't remember but the way that this scene reads um I still think that it's just this dude, this dude is crazy. This dude is crazy and she's scared of him and hates him and is angry at him. But she doesn't look like she feels guilty. She looks more scared. So I guess I'd have to go with that. Yeah, I I think she's stubborn. I do think that she has. I mean, I think there's a reason she's called Mad Max and uh, the Duffers didn't do that just because they wanted to reference Mad Max the movie, you know? I think yeah. the reason that she's Mad Max, I think there is 
a lot of anger there. Now, whether that stems from Billy or that stems from stuff going on within her own family, we don't know. But I do know that there is a reservoir of anger there for whatever oh, yeah. reason. But if I had to guess just on this scene alone and looking at it, I I think personally that the person at fault actually is Billy. But of course, I don't think Billy would let himself be the one to take the fall. And so he's found a way, I think, to kind of push that blame onto Max for maybe like the flimsiest of reasons. And he literally will force her to say, it's my fault. It's my fault. Even though in reality, it's not Max's fault. I think he's doing it just to like mess with her head. Cause I mean, and we see in this scene when he's, you know, trying to run the kids off the road, which I think he'd, I think he would have hit them and not and like, he's a sociopath. I mean, he's yeah. scary. He's a scary, mm-hmm. he, he might be the scariest character in all of stranger things. And that's including the freaking Demogorgon. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I mean, I, there's no doubt in my mind that, oh, well, you know, you can't trust him. He's just, he's, he's a psychopath and he's a bully and he's, man, he like, like he's messed up. He's, he's a hard, his scenes are hard for me to watch. Cause I'm legitimately like, is he going to hurt this, this, this young girl? It, like, is he going to, like, hit her or something? Like, like he... So, yeah, I, I mean, to answer your question, I'd blame him. Okay. I don't even remember what the real answer is, but it's I gotta blame him. Okay. Alright, so then we move on here. We have a nice scene with Will and Jonathan. Uh, they're driving along, and Will laments that you know, he, Nancy isn't you know walking with Mike out trick-or-treating, and of course... Jonathan's supposed to go with Will because everyone's constantly overprotecting Will. You know, they're so afraid that something might happen to him that someone seems to need to be near him at all times, no he matter what. He can't even take a leak. Right. can barely go to the bathroom and, and someone's you know, checking up on him. So Jonathan, you know, he relents. He, he lets Will go, gives him the camera, uh, tells him to be back here at 9 o'clock. And then he goes off to the party, uh, the party from the last episode where Nancy was trying to get him to go. He didn't want to go, but now he's reconsidering because uh, I think because Will talked to him because Will said, you know, you know, why aren't you out with your friends in the last episode? Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. It was Will. It was Will. So they go out trick or treating, and I love this scene where where Max jumps out from behind the tree and scares everybody <laughs> it, uh in her uh J- she's dressed as uh michael myers michael myers uh which is totally fitting for her character by the way i i totally feel like she loves horror movies and she's not going to dress up like a princess she's not you know she's going to dress up like michael myers no doubt about it um so um it's really funny if you watch uh beyond stranger things uh, they were filming that scene, and they use her as a jump scare. Uh, and they said they wanted to. Uh, they were considering ha- like filming her while she was waiting to go on camera because she was just standing there in the costume with the knife. And they said it was legitimately creepy. 
<laughs> I believe it. I think that's great. Uh, but I, I love, I love the scene. I love when she jumps out. She scares them, and then she says, um, "Who screams like that? You sound like a little girl." <laughs> it was. It just. It's just a. You know, actually, I think if there was one scene in the early going on goings on of uh, season two that made me really like her character. It was this this scene in particular where she jumps out and she scares them. Um, there's just something great about it. And I don't know, it just struck me a certain way and I loved it. And, you know, I'm on Max's side. I mean, even... It also reveals that she... Like, at first she's very... You see, like, she's kind of skeezed out by them. But she's definitely... she's She likes them. Or at the very least, she feels bad for her brother almost... Uh, you know, just splattering them on the highway. Well, I think she wants to be part of some group. Obviously, her brother is a real douche, uh, to put it mildly, on top of being a psychopath. Is he? Huh? Is he? You don't have... He, he looks like Randall Flagg from the uh, <laughs> 90s version of The Stand. That's yeah. what, that. I finally nailed it. That's exactly what it is. He's Randall Flagg. Uh, He's Randall Flagg. Yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> From the good movie with that character. I, look, I, I think, you know, Billy is he's obviously crazy. He's a psychopath. And one of the things that I picked up on in the earlier scene where they were in the school talking to her about bullies and about how, you know, they would – what they're saying is more or less will protect you from bullies – obviously they have no idea that her brother is crazy and there, there is a bully in her life that she's scared of and it's her brother and so being part of this group they don't realize it but in a way by being part of this group they're offering her a certain level of protection even if they don't realize it um, and even if it just means by belonging to to some group of people that she can be friends with, um, or the nerd mafia, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, so then, let's see what, what I we refer to that group as from now on. Hawkins Mafia, <laughs> the Hawkins nerd, the, the AV Mafia, AV Mafia. It's great. Um. All right, so then, you know, Mike, however, is not receptive to Max. And you look at this scene where he he's obviously not pleased that she's there. Uh, he even says to Will that, you know, did, did you agree to this? And nobody asked me. Uh, and I want to talk about this briefly. So obviously for Mike, he looks at Max and he thinks that this girl is replacing Eleven in the group. Right. Like, and of course, given how traumatized he is already and with everything he's dealing with and with Eleven being gone, it's, it's a natural, I think it's a natural reaction. I understand the reaction. Um, people might be annoyed at, at how Mac or Max, how Mike is being portrayed this season. But the thing is, I understand where he's coming from. Um, it, it never felt forced or unnatural. No. Hmm. No, it didn't. Um, but what I like is that it's a nice rule reversal with Lucas last season. Because if you go back to last season, it was Lucas yeah. who was like, I totally don't want Eleven in the group. She's not part of the group. She's not – no, no, no. You know, that was definitely his position. And it was like that for like a majority of the season. Jump ahead to this 
season. And the role was completely reversed. Now, Lucas is all about bringing Max into the group. And, of course, you know, he likes Max in the same way that Mike liked Eleven in season one. So now we've got the rule reversal. Now it's Mike who's like, I don't want her in this group. She shouldn't be here, da-da-da, and all that. So obviously it's a rule reversal, but but there's more um, to it because we know that if Eleven was there, he wouldn't have a problem with probably with Max being in the group. It's just that she's not there. He misses her. And now this girl comes along and they want her to be part of the group. No way, Jose. Not going to happen. At least not to him. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, You know, at first I was kind of like, oh, man, we're, is this is this really where it is? But kind of like kind of like you said, it's it never feels unnatural. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Considering what he's what he's been through. I, I wish that, you know, because I, I didn't even put the parallel with him and Lucas. I'd have liked to have put more scenes like the uh, Ghostbuster scene with them arguing and being at odds yeah. with that different dynamic, which they don't do that so much. They actually, um, and as seen in this episode a lot, they pair him off more with Will, mm-hmm. um, which is actually a, a nice bonding thing because they were the two of the kids of the uh, of the nerd mafia that were the most i i felt like walk i'm going back to it it being about trauma they walked out with the biggest scars of those four kids agreed agreed definitely they both kind of carry that and have to deal with their own stuff now will is definitely will like that kid just takes it on the chin oh yeah like like mike's like all like oh there's this girl i liked she's my friend and now she's gone and might be dead or whatever and Will's like, yeah, I was, uh, I got Dale Coopered pretty hard, and um, I'm dealing, but I'm not gonna make you feel like shit about it because I'm a good dude, good guy, Will. Yeah, he he's great. Um, of course, he gets separated from Mike a little bit, uh, gets scared by some other uh, trick or treaters, some some older kids who just being jerks, really. So, Mike, I actually have to ask you about something like that. Yeah. So, so I was not a conscious being in the eighties. Okay. Oh, uh, we're, and I'm wondering, like, if like like historical records, when there are no people that were alive in the eighties to be around, and this is the what was our culture, are they gonna look back and like like were were there that many like freaking monsters of human beings? Like these bull, the bullies I always have found were like, this is a kid that legitimately went missing, and they're like much older kids jumping out and like messing with them was the 80s uh the savage times well i mean is it any less savage today i mean the only benefit to today is is technology has allowed us to just do it behind a computer what i see is it's much more subtle it it, it is more subtle these kids like they're like painted they're like um one of the criticisms you hear a lot of uh, Stephen King books and movies based on Stephen King books are that his bullies are very one-dimensional and they're just these awful, like, psychopaths that are somehow able to run free in society. And and I, like, it made me, like, think, I was like, man, like, these are people that they just let out like this? Are people like this? Or is this, you know, hyperbolized to tell a story? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think back to, because, see, I was born in 82. Right, so I was right. So when you were you know, fighting bullies at the at the age of seven, were they like cutting off your toes? Um, 
No, they weren't. They weren't doing that. Now, to be fair, I do know that looking back, there were some kids in the neighborhood who probably could have gone in that direction pretty easily. Um, I I would say. I don't know. I think I feel like it's just that without there weren't as many distractions back then as there are now. Okay, uh, there's more technology at people's disposal, which is both good and bad. Uh, people can sit behind computers and be real assholes, whereas back then you didn't really have. I mean, you had computers; they did exist, but they're not it's as you're ubi- out on Halloween night. And right, they're not as ubiquitous. Around the kid that went missing. Right. And I, I think that back then there was just a lot of free time and people just got themselves into some trouble, you know, or they, you know, they're just being idiots. They're, they're kids. They're probably, you know, 15 years old. Uh, they're just being little assholes is what they're being. Right. And I mean, I say like I, I, I work with kids. I'm around kids all the time and I see them be awful human beings to each other, but it's never this, I guess, blatant. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're talking about a show and they're going to ramp things up a little bit here. Right. Too. So I would say if this is like on a scale of 1 to 10, if this is like a, I don't know, a 7 or an 8, uh, I think reality back in the 80s is that the same scenario, the kid was probably more like a 6. You know, it wouldn't have been quite so uh, over the I, top in his just attacking of Will and just being a real jerk. This I kid's... Mean, my, my... My follow-up question was, was there actually a Thunderdome? A Thunderdome? That Mad Max, that, 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 that Mel Gibson used to fight people in. Was that, was that a real sport? Was that a blood sport? Oh, Mad Max uh, Beyond Thunderdome? Yeah, were there real Thunderdomes? Did you have one in your neighborhood? Uh, I, I wanted to, um, <laughs> because I was forced to watch Mad Max along with Nightmare on Elm Street in Halloween when I was all of five years old, six years old. The- you're the best toddlerhood? Yeah. Well, let me tell you what. When you have to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween as a little kid, you have nightmares for a while. <laughs> Whether you're on Elm Street or not. Whether you're on Elm Street or not, it does not matter. When I was uh, – uh, just a quick aside here, just a small tangent. Um, after they forced me to watch those movies, which, by the way, don't ever do that, all right? You're going to ruin a kid's childhood. Do it. So <laughs> – I would, Show your children Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, just just to top it off, by the way, that's great. <laughs> um, so I would be laying in bed, and the way my bed was set up, if I turned my head, right, I it was my head was my um, my head was kind of flush with the wall, so I could see the um, the very edge of the doorway. Okay, and my door was open all night, but across from the door there was uh, a window and at some point in the night the moonlight would kind of shine through and there was a lot of trees outside of our apartment so there would be a lot of shadows dancing in the room because of it and of course you're a little kid so your your imagination just goes crazy right i cannot tell you how many night after night after night after night after night I would look over and at some point, of course, my imagination would take hold and I could clearly, clearly see Freddy Krueger's clawed, you know, bladed fingers wrapping their wrapping around the door frame. 
and then I could see him peering around the edge of the door frame with this big leering, you know, grin on his face. Like that is like the most terrifying thing in the world. And you're like five years old. Your the pillows are on top of your head, covers on top of your head, and I would lay there and I would be shaking until I fell asleep. And that was like for months. <laughs> oh man. So yes. Uh Kids could be jerks. Even even the kids, even the girls that were supposed to watch you and make sure you're okay. Yeah. Uh, so on one hand, you're looking at these kids and you're saying, could they be such big jerks? Yes, they can. Because I had teenagers that were showing a five-year-old kid Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween movies. That's almost as bad. <laughs> it's almost as bad. Almost and as also, bad. And also the monsters were always jerks to you as well. Yeah. Freddy Krueger's and the Demogorgons. Yeah. Anyway. As we come back off hey, of our giant 80s, tangent. It's 80s culture. If you're not interested in 80s culture, then why you listen to it into a Stranger's thing? Right. Con- yeah, All right. So we have this nice scene between Mike and Will. Uh, Mike is, is talks about Eleven a little bit. We don't know how much he's talked to Will about Eleven. We get the sense that there haven't been that many conversations between them and that Mike has kind of kept Eleven to himself more or less. Um, it's also possible, and from early scenes in this season, you get the sense that Mike has kind of closed himself off from the others a bit, uh, because they don't seem to pick up on his attitude and just his kind of closed off, um, you know, aspect to his, his personality, which didn't used to be there, but it is now. But here he kind of opens up to Will a little bit. Will opens up to him. And it's just this nice scene where they both talk about going crazy together. You know, different reasons that they're going crazy together. But they're going crazy together. Uh, so that was sweet. Um, and then we move to Dustin opening up a garbage can. This is at the very end of the episode. Uh, we heard it so good. at the last episode, the very end. And then... It stopped and Dustin went inside. This time it keeps going. Dustin walks over, opens up the lid, and looks inside and cut to black. So that ends the storyline for the kids. All right, so let's jump into Nancy, Steve, and Jonathan. So um, early on in the episode, Nancy thinks she sees Barb at the library. Uh, She confides in Steve that she would like to tell Barb's parents the truth or at least some of the truth. But Steve tries to convince her that the government could destroy them and their family if they knew that she was telling Barb's parents yes, the truth. Steve's really pragmatic, which yeah. is something you learn see about him in this. He's very practical. Right. And, I mean, I understand Nancy's point of view, but at the same time, you can't fault Steve for his point of view, which is, hey, look, this isn't just about me or you. It's about our families. Like, they could tear us apart. They could... They could end our family. They could take us all away. You know, I was killed. I mean, yeah. Okay, so yeah, we have uh, Nancy. She thinks she sees Barb, and of course, the whole Steve thing happens. And then uh, once that ends, because Steve is all like, "Hey, look, um, we can't do it," and he makes sense, and he is being smart about it. But he wants them for just one night to just act like stupid teenagers. And again, it's like a callback to season one. Because if you remember, right before Nancy and Jonathan went that went out to kind of track down the Demogorgon or the monster or whatever they 
she thought she saw in the in the woods. She was swinging her bat in the garage. Steve popped up and he was like, hey, why don't we just go to the movies and just pretend like everything's normal? And so it's kind of a callback to that scene from season one. Yeah, be, be stupid teenagers. Right, be stupid teenagers. Uh, you know, wear the stupid outfits that we spent all that time, you know, making. And, and oh, by the way, they, they really spent a lot of time on these outfits. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're making a show that you know cosplayers watch this show. Come on. Right. It, it, like it, it looked like they spent 15 minutes putting these costumes together. Sorry. But uh, definitely not a lot of time spent here. I don't know what Steve was talking about. But anyway, um, they go to the party. Uh, Jonathan shows up and talks to a girl right after he gets inside the house. And I feel like this girl will become a factor next season. I thought it was odd for her just to kind of like talk to him and disappear. We never saw her for the rest of the season. It just felt like one of those really? characters that I feel like we're going to see next year, like out of the makeup, out of the Halloween costume. She's going to meet up with Jonathan again at some point next season. You know, sparks are going to fly and, you know, maybe it'll be trouble in paradise again for, for Jonathan and, uh, and Nancy this time. So who knows? That's just my guess. I have nothing to back that up, but just you know, having watched a ton of movies and TV shows, I feel like she's going to become a factor. Uh, I see. I don't. I don't feel that way. I um, I think she was just kind of a one-off joke. I think she's there for the kiss joke. Okay. Actually, um, I wouldn't mind seeing the character though more. I think that would be a very interesting factor to put in. But I didn't. Um, I just saw her as a just a. a side character but they're always in the same town so i guess it wouldn't it, it makes sense to reuse characters but i didn't uh i, I didn't put that much time into yeah it. i actually forgot she existed until i rewatched it yeah i guess it could have been just a joke you're right it's, it's not really possible okay um so steve tries to get nancy to stop drinking so much but she's clearly bent on drinking herself into oblivion um he tries to take the cup away she pulls on the cup and the punch spills onto her costume and uh, she rushes off to the bathroom. What? Their costume was like risky right. business. It, am I yeah, right? it was. That they took five minutes. Right. To put That's it. what I'm saying. Like they talk, he talks in that scene earlier about how they spent so much time on these costumes, putting them together and all this. Like, dude, you spent like 15 minutes, you know, come on. Um, like how could it take that much time to put together a costume for Joel? It's like, you a- know, I, 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 what, I, a shirt, sunglasses. Yeah, exactly. Something he already had in his closet. Um, yeah. But anyway, she rushes off to the bathroom, obviously horrified. It's that scene in every 80s, like, teen movie where someone spills a drink and, or someone spills a drink on somebody else and everybody just stops and stares. So that was kind of funny. But she rushes off to the bathroom and we get this scene. I'm sorry. It's not coming off, Nancy. It's coming. Come on, let me just take you home, okay? Come here. Let me take you home. You wanted wanted this. No, I didn't want this. I told you to stop drinking. Bullshit. It's not bullshit, okay? Bullshit. No, it's not bullshit, bullshit, Nancy. No, you. You're bullshit. What? You're you're pretending like, like everything's okay. You know, like... Like, like we didn't, like we didn't kill Barb. 
Like, like, it's great. Like, we're in love and uh, we're partying. Yeah, let's party, huh? Party, we're partying. This, it's bullshit. Like we're in love? Bullshit. You don't love me? It's bullshit. Okay, so... That scene is bullshit. It... <laughs> it it's, uh, it's, tell you what, it's a tough scene to watch, honestly. I felt really bad for Steve here. Yeah. Um, I felt really bad for Steve here because, you know, she can, she can talk about how she was drunk and she doesn't remember and all this stuff. But, you know, sometimes the things you say when you're drunk, you may not have gone quite as far when you were sober... You still but, mean. But you still mean at least part of it. And in this instance, she really tears Steve apart and their relationship apart. She like says, you know, that we killed we killed Barb. You know, she's like, We killed Barb. We killed her. We did this. And I I understand her guilt, but that's her guilt. It's not, it's not something that Steve should be guilty for. Let, let's think, let's go back to season one, right? So uh, Nancy wants to go upstairs with Steve. Steve runs up. Barb wants to leave, tries to convince uh, Nancy to leave with her. Nancy, of course, is, is you know, hell-bent on going up and, and getting uh, into bed with Steve instead. Right. Uh, Barb leaves. She gets taken away, and, and Nancy loses her virginity. Uh, is that something that either one of them should really be guilty for? Like the monster took Barb away. Now, in Nancy's case, now I can understand her point of view, which was, if I had just left, Barb would not be dead. But should should Steve be guilty for killing her? No. 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 I don't I, think so. Barb made the decision to not come inside and hang out. Mm-hmm. Um... She's dealing with a lot of guilt, and here we end. Oh, yeah, trauma. Right, and trauma. More trauma, more PTSD, more issues. We're back around to the, you know, one-year anniversary or so of, or getting close to the one-year anniversary of all this going on, you know. Yeah, it's... So, yeah, it's it's, crazy. So, it's it's just revisiting those feelings, but... And for, like, man, did I not like Steve in the first season, which, you know, you're not, I don't think you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. But boy, do you just feel bad for the guy, and you like him, and you, and I mean, I, I'm of the many, many shippers, a Stranger Things, exactly. Right. Uh, I'm one of the many shippers for you know Jonathan and uh, Nancy. Nancy, I keep on just, I, I keep on wanting to call her Natalie. <laughs> um, but I, I, I like him here and I don't want to see him hurt. You know, he came back and beat up a Demogorgon with a baseball bat. I, I like that guy. And he's yeah, look, good he, actors. He, he's good. a good actor. He does a great job here in this scene that the hurt on his face is obvious. Uh, it's crushing, you know, when she, she literally calls the relationship bullshit and not only just the relationship, but she also calls him. Steve bullshit. And, it's tough to see, you know, because look, he has changed as a person. Yes, 
early season one, he was that he was a bit of a dick. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But at the same time, as the season went along, you could see him struggling with being around two people who were obviously very negative influences on him. And once he dispatched them, he was able to finally be, I think, who he is more or less, which is the guy we we're seeing now. I think the real Steve was the guy we're seeing right now away from the kind of the corrosive influence, which was his two friends, the girl and the guy that we barely see this season. Um, and, um, and so now we're seeing we, Steve we just be destroyed them, by, by her. Huh? We do see them, but only a little bit, a little bit, very briefly, a couple, a couple of scenes, very briefly, we see them, but that's it. And, but you know, he gets crushed by Nancy here and that's, I, you know what, in the same situation, I know she's drunk, but you know, She's still saying these things to him. I, I can understand him leaving. Is it is it like a, a really is it a dick move for him to leave her there? I I, I don't know. <sighs> I, I it's hard it's hard to say. It, especially you know. in our creepy culture, but I think he was he was emotional. Also, Steve was drinking too, like right? I mean he was at the party. He was Yeah, he was drinking probably not too much. Probably not as much as her, but yeah, he's probably nobody, drinking, I'm sure. Nobody except for uh, pure fuel guy was drinking as much as her, right? Freaking Bluto from Animal House up in there. <laughs> uh, so then we get Jonathan. Um, he sees uh, Steve come, you know, barreling out of the bathroom. Of course, uh, he, you know, takes Nancy home, and you know he puts her to bed. It's a, it's a nice, sweet scene. She wakes up briefly says Jonathan, but of course she's not going to remember any of this tomorrow. Um, she's going to think, of course, that Steve put her to bed. Um, so, yeah. Um, we also, let's move on to Hopper and Joyce. So after Joyce uh, finds Will's picture, she and Hopper have this nice scene. Uh, it feels like there is so much chemistry between them. Hopper is clearly enamored with Joyce. Um, so we saw some of that in season one, and we definitely see it here as well. Yeah, maybe even better here, like more emphasized because of what they've gone through together and what, you know, they bond over. I feel like they both feel like I think Hopper also feels responsible for Will because he pulled Will out of the jaws of death. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's understandable, too, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then a, a farmer, because now at this point Hopper's left, he's down at the station. A farmer comes in and tells Hopper that another another farmer named Merrill poisoned his pumpkins, right? Because I guess he'd heard him say some some threats or whatever, and now they've apparently been carried out. It's like his murder, pumpkins. she wrote. Yeah, it's fair. you're right. Uh, so initially Hopper is just like, you know, whatever, this is just so beneath this is so beneath me this why is am i not yeah. what am i doing with my life this is this is for my lackeys to take care of uh but the guy says hey look i'm not the only farmer it's you know this guy down the road and this guy and this guy and this guy they all their whole patches have been destroyed so this actually makes hopper perk up now he's taking it seriously because one pumpkin patch destroyed whatever but a bunch different story so he goes down to this farm, this farmer's farm, and he finds ugly, like this goo everywhere. Um, his lackeys, his, I call them his lackeys, his deputies. <laughs> Lou. Them, 
<laughs> they're the worst. Dude, they are... St- they're terrible. Hey, did that scene remind you of Ghostbusters when he's, like, picking up all the, like, pumpkin slime? Yeah, it yeah. did. Yep, it did. Uh, and his deputies, they're, like, allergic to work, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, oh. Like, it might take us a couple of hours of actual work, you know? It's kind of ridiculous. Um, uh, hours go by, and eventually Hopper realizes that he is late. That he didn't keep his promise to Eleven uh, to eat junk food and watch movies. Nope. And she's been sitting there all day watching Frankenstein. Right. Uh, Joyce and Bob see Will and Jonathan off. Uh, Bob, of course, is dressed up like a, a vampire. And I, <laughs> I love his line. I hope it doesn't suck. I hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> and his, the good. teeth are bad. Yeah, it's bad. It's so bad. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so then there's this sweet scene with Bob dancing with Joyce, and he talks about how he could take them, you know, back back to Maine. You know, they could leave this place, start fresh, start anew. Uh, clearly, Bob is is very much in love with Joyce. He's and, a nice guy. Uh, he's a nice guy. He's a dork, but he's a nice guy. Yes, he wants to take care of them and wants to take care of Joyce. Uh, Joyce. Uh, tells Bob that like this isn't a normal family. And I think she really appreciates his sentiment, and I think there's a part of her that really wants to go, but I think she also understands, like, I can't go anywhere with my kid like this. This isn't a normal family. End of story. Yeah. So then um, we we get to the end. Well, well actually, I'll get to the end of the episode. Oh, wait, no, we are almost at the end yeah, of the I episode. Mean, what else... The only other thing is that there's a bit with the Hawkins laboratory where we see Dr. Owens. Uh, he's looking at the tapes of Will having come in. Um, he's squeezing his stress ball, which is understandable. I, I love that quirk. Yeah, it's a great quirk. Um, and then we see a guy go into the upside down. Uh, he goes through the portal, through the gate. And it turns out that they've put some kind of electrical equipment, some some uh, stuff in there. I guess it's supposed to kind of measure the activity going on, going on in the upside down. Uh, apparently something's been fried in there, so they have to go in and replace it. And my guess is this happens quite often. It's like a camera, uh, am I right? Right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. They have to go in and replace it. It's probably a common occurrence. It happens all the time, I think. Just my guess. Uh, he goes in. He takes the old burnt you know, part out, which makes sense because if we remember season one when Joyce was on the phone with what she assumed to be Will, uh, then it was the Demogorgon, the electricity would fry the phone. So it makes sense that whatever's going on in the upside down kind of fries electrical equipment. So he has to go in probably almost daily and probably replace this thing. So they take out the burnt part, they put the new one in, everything fires up on our side, so things seem to be okay. Um and I think that pretty much ends that storyline for this episode. Yeah. So the last thing with Hopper and Joyce, etc., is that Hopper gets back to the cabin, and uh, Eleven doesn't want to let him in. Right? He's <laughs> pounding on the door. He's talking about how he's going to freeze to death. She unlocks the door with her mind. He goes inside, uh, but she's in her room. Uh, he tries to get her to come outside. He says, I have you know junk food. I have all the good stuff. Um, but she's not receptive at all. Because, you know, 
he broke his promise. And what what is the one thing that we know about Eleven? If there's one rule that she has, friends don't it's about, break promises. Yes, friends don't lie. If you're gonna tell me you're gonna be here, if you're gonna promise me something, you'd better be here. You better follow through. And he didn't. So, um, he decides he's gonna eat all the junk food himself, and you know until she comes out at least. Uh, tries to make her feel guilty by saying, like, I could have a heart attack out here, but uh, she's not falling for any of that stuff. So we go to the inside the room, and she's watching. Uh, there's fuzz on the TV. She takes a blindfold. She puts it over her eyes. And this is a step up from last season. You can remember, she had to be in a bathtub a year ago. But now she just has to put a blindfold on kind of, Using the the white noise from the TV and the blindfold allows her to go into what I call the void. That's what I call it. I think it's it's an in between between our world and the upside down. I think there's our world in between our world and the upside down is the void, and that's where she goes to. And uh, Mike is there. He's on his walkie-talkie. He's trying to talk to her, and she goes forward. She tries to to touch him. But he, he thinks he hears her voice when she says Mike. He even says L. But of course, he's talking to thin air. He thinks it's in his head. He just stands up and walks away. And then, of course, the devastation on her face. We can see it coming. And then we shift back to her taking off the blindfold. Her nose is bloody. And she's crying. And does anybody cry better than, than Millie Bobby, Bobby Brown? Brown. Like I've like Claire Danes, uh, probably was used to be like the former best crier on TV, uh, when she was like on Homeland, but her crying is a is different. It's a different kind of crying. But her, Millie, when she does scenes like this, I mean, the devastation on her face, the tears, it just you really believe that this this girl is just absolutely crushed. By what's going on oh yeah um and she's just yeah she's obviously devastated seeing mike like this being able to not interact with him but still be able to see him is almost worse than not being able to see him at all but she can't resist the opportunity to see him in any way she can it's tough what are your thoughts on all this um it's such a good See, it's nice to see, like, you want to see those two characters, um, uh, Mike and Eleven, interact. You de- you definitely want to get get to that, but you can't because, you know, you got to work to that payoff. But it's kind of a nice way to sneak it in there. Uh, they're so near, so being so near yet so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that she's that she's moved on with her powers, that she's been practicing them, which you get earlier in the episode when she's, like, killing squirrels and stuff, like... She used to she used to ha- like struggle to move the Millennium Falcon. Now she's like, yeah, she's killing the brain things. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just it's 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 really awesome. It it's couldn't be couldn't be done better. It makes him way more sympathetic. Um, yeah, and it and it you does. know she's trying. She's got this door up between her and Mike. She's trying to get through while she's got a door up between her and Hopper that she's trying to keep up there. So it's cle- they're clever. They're very clever. Yeah, they are. They are. They do a great job of of continuing to show just how devastating 
this loss of Mike is for her, and it's paralleled by the devastation of of Mike's loss of Eleven. You know, they're both dealing with and and I remember hearing some criticism online uh, about how like oh come on these are thirteen year old kids. Uh, no way that this is that devastating for either of them. But you got to remember, you ever something. been a thirteen year old kid? Yeah, the, the 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 emotion. Your first love is is ridiculous. It it leaves a lasting impact on you. You know, your first girlfriend that you ever have, the first love that you have. It's it it never. You never get over that. You never get over that. It it's it's got a special place in your life for a reason, and I mean, but apart from all that, the circumstances for them are completely unique, right? For Eleven, it, it Mike was the first person that ever showed her true kindness. You know, he took her in, he fed her, was kind to her, and this, you know, the feelings just naturally grew there. And they they were young, yes, there's no doubt about that. Um, but with Mike, you know, Eleven is is, it's not just that she's got powers. I don't think that he cares one iota about the fact that she she can lift with anything with her mind or do things that doesn't mean anything to him. I think what she, what he likes is um, how, you know, she makes him feel. And, and I just think they have a special bond and then that's it, you know? So um, I don't buy into the criticism. Like this is no, it unbelievable. Seems, that seems unfair. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I think it it makes sense. I understand it. You know. So anyway, um, looks like that's it for the episode. Uh, I mean, we t- oh we talked about the actual ending, which is uh, Dustin. Oh yeah, 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 right. Because he did. Because he opened up the trash bin and the trash can, and inside was something. We don't know what it is right now because it's it, a gremlin. It cut to black. Let's yeah. face it. It's probably probably a gremlin. Probably a gremlin. <laughs> uh okay that's it for us uh, in this episode we'll be back next week with another episode of stranger things on the freaking geeks podcast uh my name is mike this is mike and we'll see you next time hey everybody um as i was actually sitting down to do the editing for this podcast i realized something as we got to the end it was um the fact that we didn't actually grade the episode when we recorded last night and for that I apologize. Uh, we were actually up pretty late recording, and uh, Mike had work the next day. So as we're getting towards the end of our of our breakdown of the episode, I was trying to kind of usher us out of the recording, um, honestly, as quickly as we could, just so that he could get to sleep and uh, you know have enough, I guess, enough rest to actually get up and do his job properly. So. Uh, for that, I do apologize, but I did want to relay what our grades were for this episode. Probably isn't too hard to figure out what they would be, but my grade and Mike's grade were both a solid A for the episode. Uh, we both thought that it was um, an excellent progression of the storyline uh, for season two so far. We both enjoyed the character development and the interactions, and I think the like the PTSD trauma issues that seemed to be pervading the early storylines in this season um, and really affecting the characters a year later after what happened last year uh, really seems to resonate with the two of us. We really enjoy that a lot. 
so with everything that we talked about in this episode, we just thought that it was, you know, it wasn't just a solid episode of Stranger Things. We just thought it was, you know, one of the best episodes of Stranger Things thus far in season two. And honestly, I think uh, even season one, this really ranks up there with the best episodes of the show at this point of the series. So yeah, I wanted to just relay that to you guys that it is an A for the two of us. And uh, we'll try to make sure next week when we do our recording uh, again for episode three, that when we get towards the end, we can actually do our, our standard uh, final thoughts slash uh, final grade, you know, for the episode. So yep, just want to let you know, and we will see you next week on another episode of Stranger Things Podcast uh, by Freaky Geeks.